G'day everyone, welcome to Mark and Carr's Porsche Talk, podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. If you're interested in front engine, rear engine, or even mid engine, there'll be something here for you. But more importantly, we're going to talk to the people who are passionate about our favourite brand. I'm your host, Mark, from the YouTube channel, Mark and Cars. Please think about subscribing, browsing the existing podcasts I've posted, anything like that. And I'm interested in any of your feedback, so please let me know. But before we start today's podcast, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, Calnegia Family Vineyards. They're a West Australian family-owned vineyard who make a range of wines. I've actually got them right here. They make the Calnegia brand. They've also got Bunkers and Rosabrook, as well as the Brian Fletcher wines that you may be familiar with if you're a Naked Wines subscriber, like I know a lot of listeners are. But anyway, thank you to the Calnegia family vineyards. Support them because they support us. Today's guest, if you have watched any of my previous podcasts or videos, you'd be relatively familiar, especially if you've watched the classic prattle where just a couple of old guys crap on about old cars. But Derek, thanks very much for joining us today. Delighted to join. Thoroughly enjoyed the talk with the old guys and the old cars. I was stunned that one could talk for an hour and 18 minutes and think that really this is just for us to discover that thousands and thousands of people listen to that. People are notorious for being able to fill up their day with stuff that's really, we thought was only important to us. So true. (laughs) So today, Derek, we're going to talk about Porsche. This is a Porsche Talk podcast after all. I met you probably about eight or nine years ago now when Mm. I very first joined the Porsche Club of Western Mm. Australia. Mm. Still a member, so is Derek. Mm -hmm. Um, Not long after that time, you became the president of the club. And I talked you into becoming treasurer, and you've never forgiven me, I think. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> We're here today. No, we are indeed. <laughs> no, I, I actually enjoyed that period, and I found it to be, for anyone that's uh, new to Porsche ownership and want to join their local club, if you want to meet everyone, join the committee. Everyone's yeah. appreciative of it, believe me. It's well worth are. it. And, uh, yeah, sure, the rewards are questionable, but overall, I found it a pretty positive experience. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it was a couple of years, and I, it was just a way of, you know, contributing to community, basically. I've been a member since 1993 and vice president for, I think, three or four years beforehand. Um, And all of a sudden, there was kind of like a, would you please step up? And it wasn't my aspiration to step up and be president of the Porsche Club. But when you do step up, all of a sudden you think, right, so I've got got 250 memberships, so probably 500 people here. And our job is to create fun and joy. And that's the job. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, Porsche clubs and Porsches and Porsche cars, etc. And at the end of the day, a Porsche club is a social club. That's all it is. You know, yeah. sure, there are... There and, are races, but it's a social club. And, look, this certainly been, seems to be a bit of resurgence in the old sporting aspect of the Porsche clubs yeah. globally. Yes. Like, historically, that was a major part of the clubs. And I think most members of Porsche clubs around the world will agree some clubs aren't as strong in the sporting aspect as others. But I think overall... If anything, COVID and our mortality and the way we self-reflect, bugger it, let's go race our cars. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting I think there's outcome a bit of, that, of the self-reflection. I do, I do think you there's know, a bit of that going on. I met the Porsche Club of Tyrol once. We did a tour of Europe with okay, the Porsche sure. Club of Western Australia. Yeah, yeah. And the logical thing to do is call up and say, hey, we're coming into your town. Can we meet you? And You're talking about Tyrol is in the area north of Austria, Italy, border Correct. area? Yeah, okay, Correct. yeah, sure. Correct. And they were the nicest people. It's incredible. 
And I said, look, we don't know the roads there very well. Would you take us out? And, uh, and in fact, um, seven or eight members met us all and we had 10 Porsches um, that we would either lease and one I had there. Um, and, and we then drove those Porsches on and, fo and followed them and did some incredible tours. Anyway, so we talked to them about what their sporting events were. And, you know, the weather in Europe, it, you know, it, it's not the same as the weather in Australia. So you don't get this whole solid year of racing, you know. Sure. And so they said, well, we can only race for a period of time and there's a lot of snow, et cetera, et cetera. I said, well, so what do you do? And they said, well, um, we do four races, two of them on tracks, one of them's a Motocana, um, and one is um, it's sort of a hill climb, right? But then we do some skiing. And so we ski race, and that's included in our car race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? And so they just bolted in a bit of ski racing and bolted in and bolted in into indoor go-karting, and that was their season. Sure, and, that, and that's proof <clears throat> of the whole, it's a social club. It's a social club. Yeah, great. Yeah. Let's talk about the cars you've had. Mm. Porsches. I know you've owned... A lot of other classic cars, which you know, we bre we brushed on the classic prattle conversation we had yes. with Simon. For those of you who haven't seen the classic prattle podcast, I'll link it below. The one Derek's in, and if it interests you, be interested in classic cars in general, we're pretty good at crapping on about those two, <laughs> right? But got a few cars lined up here. I know two of the three are very uh, sympathetic to cars you've owned in the past. Oh, absolutely. But you know, the thing is, that it, it it wouldn't be correct to say how I got to Porsche without explaining what I had before. Let's talk about that. Um, and so, you know, I was always a British car lover and our family had had British cars. Sure. Um, E-Type Jag Series 2 convertibles and Jensen Interceptor. What a nutty car that is, you know, with a 7.2 litre performance engines up the front of it. I have, I have driven one. <clears throat> Eight miles per gallon. Um, and if you're easy on it. What's that? If you're easy on exactly. the throttle. <laughs> exactly. And, and my brother wrote to Jensen at the time and said to him, so I've got this and it seems to consume a lot of fuel. Do you have any suggestions? And Jensen wrote back with this beautiful letter, including a bonded stamp on the top, etc., embossed. Um, and they said, dear Mr. Graham, um, we suggest that you um, drive the car with the windows up and the air conditioning off. <laughs> now... We live in a place like, like San Diego, or, sure. and, and of course, you know, we, we get highs of 41 degrees Celsius here, so that didn't work, but it was classic English. So, but at any rate, I, I, um, I had, a, you know, some Triumphs and, 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 uh, and a highly modified Triumph Stag with a three and a half litre rover engine in it and a five-speed gearbox and different di differentiation. So it was a beautiful car. Was Very Freddie Mercury. Brilliant. It was, yeah, it was at the time. Four <laughs> seats and you could fit girls in it. That's all I was interested in. Sure. You know? um, and it was a bundle of fun to drive. Um, but I got my aspirational car, which was an Aston Martin Oscar India Vantage. And so an Oscar India is the so DBS V8 Oscar India Vantage. So 1980. And it kind of looks like... Um, American muscle car. That's the does. one, isn't it? Yeah, it does. It's got that yeah. kicked up back like a Camaro <coughs> yeah, type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. With yeah. some style. Yeah. Um, and I used to call it a brute in a dinner suit. Sure. Um, and it was a bundle of fun to drive because it wasn't like an American muscle car. And the reason it wasn't is because an American muscle car is all grunt to 3,000 and then it starts nothing. dying. Sure. Know? This thing was nothing before 2,500 and then revved to seven. And, and Would have sounded amazing. It was gorgeous. In fact, the sound of that Aston Martin V8 is the reason why all these Aston Martins sound like they do. Oh, yeah, okay. From that model car. Sure. Because the new ones sound like they do because they tune the pipes to sound sure. that way. Whereas the old one just sounded like that. Mm -hmm. It was a quad cam V8 
yeah. um, with a with a, uh, a forest of webby carburetors down the middle. I loved it, and it just was a, it was a lovely thing to drive. And there was four of them in Australia and 219 worldwide, and, <clears throat> and hand built by Frank Williams, according to the little badge there. But it was the most unreliable car I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Spent a bit of time on the side of the road, did it? It was, it was, look, I just thought it was perfectly said when Jeremy Clarkson described the Triumph Stag, when he said, lovely car for a country drive, reluctant to come home. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line, eh? <laughs> and so I used to take this car out in the country and it would come back on the back of a flatbed shop oh, all the time. And, and I work on it, work on it, and, and I used to hear these strange words, phrases that would come out like, I've got some great news for you, Derek. It's cheap. It's a Jaguar part. Well, Jaguar parts aren't cheap. Aston Martin parts were absurd. And, and one weekend it broke down again, and I was planning to take it down to Margaret River, which is south of us here in Perth, Western Australia. It's a wine district and um, a very pretty place. Where Calnegia are actually based. <clears throat> there you go. And so gorgeous drive and wonderful destination. And... The bloody thing wouldn't start and wouldn't work at all, and there was some real issues with Whilst it. Whilst you were down there or before you'd left? Yeah, yeah, okay. And so <clears throat> the, then the girl that I was dating, um, her brother, Nigel Bennett, um, had a car, a 944 Turbo, and sure. he said to me, why don't you take my car? And I went, all right, okay. And I drove this 944 Turbo, and I within about 10 minutes I'm going, hell, this is a great car. I should buy one of these. It was a great car. And they're, they're very nimble, very... They're great driving cars. Benign handling characteristics, meaning it's not nasty in any particular way. Very few misunderstandings uh, whilst you're on that right foot. Yes. Yeah, very much so. There's no, there's no jack-in at the back suspension. Um, it grips well. Perfect 50-50 balance. Um, just a lovely car to handle. So within six months, I'd exited the Aston Martin and bought myself a 951, which was a 944 Turbo 250 horsepower sure. version. Um, and typical of Porsche, they deliver these lovely underrated cars. So you tweak that and tweak that and delivers 300. And, um, and so it was easily delivering north of 300 and it was a hell of a car. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the damn thing didn't break down. The whole time you owned it? The whole time I owned it. And Unlike the Aston. And I worked it like hell and just absolutely worked it hard um and so when it came time to selling it you know i was i remember looking at cars that were worth five times its value secondhand and i was disappointed and i go i don't understand this this is why am i looking at these cars they're, they're not they're not the car i want what were the cars you were looking at at the time out of so curiosity? um so so the so the 944 turbo by the time i got to sell it was probably worth about forty-five thousand. sure um and i was looking at about today's um, value of that car really yeah, that's right. And that was, I sold it in the... Mid-90s? Late 90s, okay. probably, yeah. And, um, and so I, I remember looking at a, a new, um, a new um, M3 BMW. Sure. For 150-something thousand, something like that. So five times the value. Um, E46 that era, are we talking? Do you remember? I can't remember which sure. one. Sure. It's a good-looking car. But, I yeah, like sure. it. And it was, it was a good car. It actually had a decent amount of uh, torque to it. So it's a long stroke, um, six-cylinder. Six yep. Yeah, it was a nice thing. Um, good I drove the convertible. It wasn't. So an M3 convertible, miles of body twist and shuttle that just didn't, didn't turn in or point like it should have done that particular model. Um, and so the coupe was it. But even having driven it, it's like, okay, but it's not as good. 
and, and it's three times the price. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. what else should I buy? And I just kept on going up the rank okay. to try and get more. Yeah. And so finally, um, I, uh, I saw an ad that, that, um, that the local uh, Porsche outlet, not, not the main Porsche outlet, the, sure. the, the second-hand dealer, so to speak, um, which was a group called KTEC at the time, um, and they had a 968 Club Sport converted to a Turbo RS. Oh, really? And, and so there were four 968 Turbo RSs ever made sure. in the world, and all of them were made to race, and, and two of them are in museums and two of them are in private collections. Um, and so, so this particular gentleman, bless him, who those the buy cars brand new to give to future generations. It's back in the days when Kevin <coughs> Clifton used to own KTEC? Yes. Yeah, okay. And the car was bought for, oh, I think it was about, I think he'd spent nearly a quarter of a million dollars on it. Um, and that was a, a fair amount of money. It was a while back. That's a lot of money today. A lot of money. And and so so he bought a 968 Club Sport and taken it to um, a fellow called Richard James, who had worked, um, who at that stage was working with a group called um, Fitzgerald Racing. And Peter Fitzgerald built four of these cars. Sure. And in Australia, they're all well-known. The four 968 Turbo RS is built by Peter Fitzgerald. Okay. And, um, and, and this particular fellow... Um, who owned it, a lovely fellow called George Bradbury. Um, and, and George had it up for sale. And I called up Merrick and I said, that 968 Turbo RS, is that George's car? And he said, yes. And I said, bring it around right now. <laughs> and he brought it around and, and I got in it and, and I must have done three kilometers in it. And I went, oh yeah, this is brilliant. I'll buy it. And I owned that car for a decade. Is that... Um... <clears throat> Did it just feel like a more modern, more powerful version of the 944, or was it a much further developed product to drive for the, you? The 968 Turbo yeah. RS was, was, a, was a, a, a very engaging car to drive. The 944 Turbo was engaging too, sure. but there's some civil aspects to that, whereas the Turbo RS had a you know, single-plate clutch, so it's a clack, 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 like this. Sure. It was delivering 420 horsepower. So it's a track car for the <clears> road type. Yeah, absolutely. It was a road-registered race car. Sure. Uh, roll cage in it, okay. um, no sound deadening in the car, um, noisy as hell, um, and race seats in it, delivered with race seats. Sure. And I drove it as my daily driver for five years. <laughs> it was so funny. And I loved the car. It was great. Um, so, and I raced the pants off it, and it was interesting because the car's performance was, was unexpected. Uh, and I regularly had the saying, this car makes me look good. Um, but the car was benign in handling characteristics, stopped very, very well, um, accelerated very, very well. Uh, you could play with it at speed in corners and it would not snap. Sure. And, and that put it ahead of the GT3, GT3 at the time. And so the 996 GT3 was out. And uh, so I raced the, the Turbo RS at Mount Panorama. Um, for two days at, at sessions with the um, Porsche Experience, I think it was. And so you're out on the track for 45 minutes at a time. And I remember Richard James saying to me, you know, if you want, this car will rev to 7,500 plus if you need it to. And I never took it there. All the racing I'd done, I didn't take it there. And I was out on this, this Mount Panorama track, which is kind of like the Nürburgring of... It of, is. For any listeners... Um Overseas, we're talking about uh, the most famous racetrack, probably in the Southern Hemisphere. It's here, it's in near the town of Bathurst, Mount Panorama. Anyone that's uh, played a video game would be familiar with it. It's such an iconic racetrack here in Australia. 
and it runs up the side of a mountain, across the top of a mountain, and, and down back down. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that four-kilometer circuit is it? It's a fair distance. Right, right, sure it might be greater than that. I think it's more than that. It's you might be wonderfully right. engaging track. Um, and invisible corners. All the corners are just <laughs> corners, and it's terrifying because you just want to know what's on the other side. But anyway, another story. And so, so this particular time we were out racing, and there were three um, GT3s that I was racing against, and they were the guys that were my issue. Sure. Um, and I just I could I could get them on the corners. In fact, they're annoying me. But come the straightaway, I couldn't overtake them. Sure. You see, and so finally, um, I remember Richard James saying to me. It'll rev to seven and a half plus. You just have to take it there. And this, like, the red line's at 6,200 sure. something, right? And, um, and, and I just said, oh. And I remember going up the hill, and these bloody GT3s are next to me, 996s. And I said, it's now or never, Richard. It's now or never. <laughs> and by taking it past 7,000 RPM, I didn't have to change gear. Yeah, okay. Which meant it just gave me the edge necessary to beat the GT3. Amazing. And, uh, and, and I remember when we arrived at the car park afterwards, there were two brothers that owned those GT3s. And they walked up to me and they, they looked and they came up to me stomping like this. And I thought, oh, I've done something wrong, you know. And, and they said, what the F is that car? <laughs> <laughs> and they just didn't realise it was a turbo RS. So it was sure. a really special event, those 968 turbos. Yeah, fantastic. A, a lot of horsepower. Where's the car now, do you think? Uh, in Sydney. Yeah, in Sydney. Um, and and uh, nine and a half years and racing it, et cetera, it was, it was time. And I bought the 997 GT3 RS at the Nürburgring um, at the time and... and um, yeah, I've fallen in love. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about that. You decided to buy a car in Europe and leave it in Europe for the times you managed to get to Europe. Yeah. Which sounds quite odd in today's travelling, let's face it, with what we've done the last 18 months around the world. But you know, prior to that, West Australians in general are notorious European travellers because it, I guess it's just closer than if you live over in the east coast of Australia to get to Europe. It's true, Yeah. And, and so the, it was a funny situation. It's all about timing and events, you know, because I had raced the pants off the 968 and loved the car and, and finally thought to myself and, and achieved what I wanted to. I wanted to win. <clears throat> I wanted to win the outright club champion. Outright. Sure. Speed, class, everything. Yep. And I'd worked on it for a few years, frankly, to improve my driving, get a little bit better, tweak the car, et cetera, et cetera. So finally I had. And, and I remember thinking, well, why, 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 why would I do that again? Like, that's all I wanted to achieve. I, I, I don't think I need to do that again if I could. Um, so what am I going to do now? And I called up a good friend, and Benham, and, uh, and I said to Benham, you've got a cup car, haven't you? Yes, he says. And I said, what's it like? And he goes, it's very good. He says, it's a good thing. And I went, all right then. So do you think I could drive one? Oh, yes, he says, you could drive a cup car. And I said, so do you think it would take me? Oh, yes, it would take you a while to learn. He said, they bite. And I went, all right. And he said, but you should do it. And I said, very good. And I said, so what will it cost me to do that? And he goes, do you want to be up the pointy end? And I said, well, it's kind of racing. Shouldn't I be up the pointy end? And, uh, and, and, he, and, he, and I said, yes. And he said, well, that about $10,000 a race. Assume you don't crash it. And I thought, $10,000? Each time I go out and race this car, and I, and I walked away thinking, okay, so that, that doesn't actually sound like a lot of fun to me, just $10,000 a pop each time I race the cars. Now, of course, the world is full of very wealthy people, and that amount of money would be irrelevant to them. 
But for me, I thought that was a, that was a lot of money per race. Um, and, and a friend of mine one night called me and said, said, mate, you see how much a 997 GT3 RS costs in, in London? And I went, no, I'm really not looking at that. How much does that cost? And, <laughs> and he told me the price. Yeah, yeah. And I went, oh, my God, that's 40% of the price. Here we in pay here in Australia. Sure. So 60% discount to the price we pay here in Australia. And within about 10 days, I owned that car um, and I bought it. So left or right-hand drive car? Right-hand drive. Oh, really? Yeah, out of London, you yeah, see. Okay. And so the rationale was that I would buy the car, store it at the Nürburgring and fly over every year for three to four weeks sure. and, and drive it around Europe and then race it on the Nürburgring floor. Sure. And I remember, so excited, I would tell people this at parties, I've got this car, and, and it's, it's in Europe, and, and, I, and I store it there, you see, and, and, the, and the women would look at me like, wow, does, does that, is that dog talking? That's really weird. <laughs> totally weird. They, just, they think that's the most stupid thing they've ever heard. Um, and generally, at the, at the time, the guys would look at me and go, oh, my God. That's a God decision, that is. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it was a real division. And over time, I discovered the women thought it was a brilliant idea. Because, because they got to go to Europe. I, yes. My partner, who is my prime, you know, my partner now, Grace, ultimately travelled with me. So we found a place in, in um, Adenau, which is where the Nürburgring is. Sure. Um, and the place is called Teichmann Racing. And, uh, and, and Teichmann Racing, I'll show you. A little of this, and you want to hand that to the, the best spot to show that. Um, that's Teichmann Racing, and owned by a lovely family, Teichmanns, their name is, and Georg Teichmann is the young man that looked after the car. And they run, they run a hotel, um, and and it's a car hotel where you, they store the car. Sure. And. I kept the car there, and there were more 997 GT3 RSs in that room than there were in Western Australia. It was a beautiful thing. Well, um, look, let's face it, the Nürburgring, probably since the turn of the century, has been the home of the GT3, hasn't it? Oh, yes. Like, any time anyone ever goes there, you can see all these other cars there, but it's just GT3, 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 GT3. Yep. GT3. It's, in, it's incredible. In fact, you kind of wonder, do they beam them in from outer space? Because you can't <laughs> see them on the road in Europe. Um, no, it's because they're all at Nürburgring. Because they, they're, they're all for play, really. And so the goal always was, and, 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 and worked out perfectly, is that I'd fly to Europe, fly into Frankfurt, um, catch the train up to uh, a nearby location, and Georg would come down and pick me up. And, and bring bring the car. The car would sit in front of the hotel. Watch, sure, waiting for you, yeah, yeah. <gasps> Fueled like, up, the whole thing. It was like go. bringing tears to your eyes. Yeah, like, yeah. It was like being a five-year-old every year sure. and getting a new red bike underneath the Christmas tree. <laughs> it was so exciting. And this beautiful car that I called Sabine, after Sabine Schmidt, sure. um, because it was blonde, beautiful, <laughs> fast, and lived next to the ring, yeah, yeah. as she is too, or was, unfortunately. And, and so, and I told her that I called the car Sabine. And by the way, she had the exact car with metal brakes on it, and she did 20,000 kilometres driving around the ring in it to give you an indication of just how strong these cars are. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
So this car spent its life driving around Europe and uh, on the Autobahn and visiting countries in Italy and France and Switzerland and Austria and obviously England and um, a lot of places of Germany. Why did you get rid of it? Um, because after nearly six and a bit years of, of travelling across and doing that, it was time. Sure, um, yep. and, uh, and so that was just, I think that's the way life is, you know, it, sure. it comes that time. Um, but I'd also, I'd raced it on Spa, uh, on, um, on um, Spielberg, um, on Hockenheim, um, on the Nürburgring many, many, many times. Sure. And so I fulfilled this dream of driving on these famous racetracks that yeah, I'd okay. seen so often. Mm -hmm. And I did 311 kilometres an hour driving down the autobahn with it once, which was a fabulous experience. Amazing, yeah. The car did it easily. Um, and and so, it, so it was time. And, um, and it was interesting because when I went to sell it, I, I, I asked for it to check for overrevs because it's a big thing when you sell of these cars. yeah. And Georg plugged in the, the computer and, and had a look at it and then started laughing, very dry human. <laughs> and I said, Georg, is there a problem? He goes, says, look here, this is the average speed of this car. And I said, what is the average speed of the car? And he says, it is 67 kilometres an hour. <laughs> and I said, I said is, that, is that a problem? He says, no, no, you don't understand. He says, the average speed of a car on the road is 19 kilometres an hour. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so it was it was a good experience. Yeah, and, yeah, um, good one. So we we sold Sabine um, for fifty percent more than I paid for a brand spanking new. Amazing. Buy a good car, you know, pick the car well. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so there's a d good degree of luck in it too, of course. Um, yeah. So there was Sabine. There's been others since. Yeah. Great. And the um, we've actually filmed a video on the Mark and Cars YouTube channel. One of my very early videos of the channel of your. 997 turbo yeah that's true and thank you was, when you were selling the car that's right and sold the car in 60 minutes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just outrageous must be an amazing so, video so it was it was a fantastic video there's there's the the car so it was a, a 997 gen 1 manual, manual. yeah i remember um, in cobalt blue which is very rare um so so this that, far too capable a car for road driving in my opinion yes. you know Turbos are amazing cars, don't get me wrong. You know, incredible cars. I've been fortunate enough to have driven a number of them, but I just could never see a time in my life living in Australia where I think, oh, I need one of them. Yeah. Yeah, because of, they're so much more capable than the environment will ever allow you to enjoy or exploit. I can't even imagine some of the uh, 4 a.m. leaving home to get on country roads hoping there's going to be no policemen around to actually enjoy a car like that. Yes. And you're absolutely right, and it is. It was a it was a weapon and a masterpiece of engineering. Um, no doubt. My logic always in buying cars is that I don't mind spending a decent amount of money on them, but I'm really keen to get all my money back when I finish with it. Sure. And of course, as a lot of people realise, you know, you buy a new car and a new exotic toy that seldom happens. So with the GT3 RS, it did because uh, it was particularly special. Yes. Um, so they made 1,500, but there's only 200 in right-hand drive, and so always in demand. Mm -hmm. um, but with the 997 Turbo, I looked at this car and went, wait a sec, this is a car that's done 37,000 kilometres, and it's German Porsche, so it's, like, new. Sure. Um, it was an absolute supercar, so it's $450,000 new, but it's for sale for 156000 Yeah. 
Slagen. That's a classic example of something that's depreciated pretty heavily. Yes. But then you look at it again, and it's the last of the all mechanical cars. Sure. So you've got a mechanical gearbox, mechanical steering wheel, brakes, etc. And the entire experience is quite still analog. visceral. Yeah, yep. still analog. The, um, it's hard to imagine, after driving cars like that, yourself, and like I said, I've been fortunate enough to experience them too, that the new... 992 Turbo S is a masterpiece so far beyond it. I haven't had an opportunity to drive a 992 Turbo yet. Even just 992 Carrera S is just an incredible motor car performance-wise. How are they continuing to evolve these cars to be so much better than the ones before? You know, when you drive a car like that, you can't... It's hard to grasp a car getting faster, better, more comfortable, more capable... You yes. know, it just baffles me that they continue to roll these cars out. We've seen it over years when, when the great, um, uh, you know, sort of automotive commentators um, in the UK, et cetera, do a report on the 911. They wax lyrical on how wonderful it is and how it's just that much better than the one before. Yeah. And that they don't think that it would be possible to get better in the next car and then they openly admit the next model. Then they openly admit that the next model is just that much better. The Porsche's master at evolution. What I will say about the, uh, as the cars have evolved, we're running out of lane. When you drive them with how wide they're getting, yeah, yeah. your ability to move within your own lane on those country roads is just getting less and less. Yes. Which, that's just for driving satisfaction. The reality is the mechanical grip on these cars and electronic grip exceeds the model before, so you don't actually need to use all the lane. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, that they, again, they're just that much better. And obviously with the turbo, new turbos and turbo S's, they're four-wheel drive, so yes. they're so capable it's, you know, and no it's one will ever exceed. An engaging experience in some aspects because it's four-wheel drive isn't a nanny four-wheel drive. So it will actually let the back slide out, which I like, because sure. I like 911s, you mm-hmm. know. I like cars that are capable of having controlled sliding, not because I'm a drifter, because it's just fun sometimes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that car there would, would let go and slide. You could actually put the foot down, the accelerator down, which kind of you don't normally do when you're in slide, and the front wheels engage. Sure. And all of a sudden you're sliding and you're going, whoa, 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 and boom, <laughs> off it goes and it pulls you out of the corner and you go, whoa, what happened there? Um, and it's quite good. But the car's amazing, but it's not a 997 GT3 RS. And they've got the same body and it used to get around the Nürburgring at about the same speed, the just, 997. Just a different way to do it. It's just not as engaging. And, and the 997 GT3 RS used to have this extraordinary ability to turn in. You turn that thing in, and it was just so much fun um, to drive it. Whereas the turbo is is more about Grand Prix cruising. Tell me, um, we've talked about a lot of cars as radiators. Yes, yeah. So, I, I understand you did own an air-cooled Porsche <coughs> I did. before I, the 997. I had a 911 SC um, after the 997, no, before the 997 turbo. And... Uh, and Literally, I got it by accident. I had a fellow that called me up and said, I'm thinking of selling this car. How much do you want for it? Told me the price. Went and looked at it and said, I'll buy it. I had never driven one in my life. And and I heard that the pedals were offset and I heard that it was a bit weird. And anyway, so about 10 or 15 minutes through driving and I'm going, it's a strange car. 
Um, and then about 30 minutes through driving again, but it's really quite fun to drive. Um, I drove that car 5,000 kilometers um, from, I shipped it to South Australia, from South Australia through the Brossa Valley, the um, Adelaide, Hills. Adelaide Hills, and then along Great Ocean Road, throughout around Victoria, and then circumnavigated Tasmania with it, and returned back and did a couple of days with the Porsche Club in Victoria with it. Um, and I just loved it. It's, it's the reason why the damn things are going up in value so much is because it's just such a lovely car to drive. Yes, it's only got 206 horsepower, but it only weighs 1,100 kilograms. Yeah, it, it doesn't need a lot more to have the engaging experience, does it? And let's face it, that 206 for the thrill it gives you is probably a lot more satisfying in what you're doing in that car than the 400-odd that was in the 997 Turbo. So the, the 997 Turbo had the overboost and stuff in it, so it was, it was delivering nearly 450 horsepower. Sure. The, the, no, 400. Actually, no, sorry, it was delivering more than that. It was delivering towards 500. Yeah, oh, yeah, they are 450-plus overboost or something overboost. like that, aren't they, if I recall? Um, yeah. And so it was a brute. Step check, yeah. The, the, um, the, the you know, it would do, do, it would go from 80 to 120 kilometres an hour in one second. Yeah. It was just mad. Um, but you're absolutely right, Mark. And the fact of the matter is that it just wasn't as engaging to drive because it's a weapon. Um, now, yet again, with the GT3 RS, it didn't matter whether you were doing 30 kilometres an hour or 300 kilometres an hour, the car was incredibly engaging to Look, drive. Look, there are very few cars <coughs> with cages that aren't engaging. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's but true. But you've got a com- you know, the compromise you're taking on that comfort yeah. When you want it to be comfortable, yep. that's really the balance point, you know, yes. of um, getting that to. And I've really I've brought this up in um, other podcasts in the past where since I've been fortunate enough to test drive electric cars and the blistering performance that comes gut-wrenching with them, mm. you know, I'm, I'm more seeking those lower power, lighter weight, experiences because of the engagement that they have you yeah. know and as much as i'd love a gt3 don't get me wrong you know i love gt3s and i've not you know i've not driven a 996 gt3 but i've driven 997s i've driven 991s and hoping the 992 opportunity will present itself once you know they come to get delivered i would love a gt3 but the my in my position in life i just can't imagine myself wringing the neck out of it on the track because of the capital investment I've got in the product with how the market has gone on those cars. Now, you know, like it's true too. The, I just, that's not the uh, lifestyle or income level I have to think yeah. I've got a $250,000 car, I'm going to go and thrash it this weekend. Or know? an RS, which is $400,000. Yeah, well, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure is amazing, right? Yeah. I, I have been fortunate enough to drive a 991 GT3 RS for some two hours in the Adelaide Hills, you know. Oh, wonderful. And, um, yeah, I got out of that fairly high, like, you know, whole a dozen, drunk a dozen Red Bulls type high, right? Just, <laughs> how am I going to buy one of these? How do I have to sell? <laughs> That's what it felt like after it, you know what I mean? Because, and this was a few years ago. This is not long after they were released. I was, right. um, the owner was, you know, I don't know, had a, a meeting with him over another thing. He said, look, Mark, I'm running late. Here's the keys to the car. It was a lava orange. And 
yeah, it was my first PDK experience as oh, well, you okay. know, so the whole thing was very, yeah, pretty, it was like, for me, it would have been what it was like getting a modern F1 car is how I yeah. describe it, you know, every aspect, the, the thing you mentioned about turning and stuff like that, every other car driving experience is compared against that one experience for me now, you know. And that's why I sold my 916 because I couldn't fall in love with my old girlfriend any longer. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept on saying to myself, that's no, okay, she's in a different country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she was never the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, um, what about today? So, well, today we've only got one car at the moment, which, um, well, one race car or play car, so to speak. Um, and that, that is an, an RS60. So for those that don't know, Porsche produced this small production run of 987 Boxster RS60s. Jeez, I really thought you were going to talk about the real RS60 for a second there. <laughs> Don't worry, if you have one of those, I'd know about it. Everybody would know about that. But, but there is, it's intriguing what Porsche does because the end of model run car... They always bring out something special to clear the last of the production correct. line effectively. And normally in a normal domestic car, slash the price, get rid of these cars... Porsche turns around and goes, no, 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 we know what to do with this car. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just tweak this, 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 and let's, this. Let's and give it a colour we haven't used for a while. Let's put an interior in it that you don't get optioned on. Yeah. You know? That's it. And and then, but they're very good at it. So it's it's silver with a red interior. Blood, As it should you know, be. Which is the colour of that model. The original. They made 1,960 of them. Ours is 1,762. Sure. Um, and it's uh, and it's Gracie's car, my partner's car. I, um, I wanted the car. She liked the car too, so it all worked well. And um, and a set of 19-inch wheels on it, um, different stainless steel exhaust system in it, remapped the engine. It's just very bright, very nimble, and a lot of fun to drive. And um, and, and and it's just a, it's a fun toy to still be engaged with the Porsche Club. Next car, oh, 993, I think. Yeah, okay. There, um, if I was to buy a 911, and I, the budget wasn't an issue. The nine nine three would be the car, be the yeah. car I'd, I'd buy. Yeah. I actually think the way other cars have uh, varying price around it, I think it's a pretty good value proposition right now. Nine nine threes, the nine six fours have pretty much superseded them in value at the moment. And after I've driven a, a number of both, and I believe the nine nine three is a better car to drive. Yeah. But you know, as Porsche have never made a car. A new 911, not better than the old one. You know, I think it's a prettier car. And, like, I never really... If I wanted a masculine Porsche, I'd I'd get something with big pumped guards on it and, like, I'd get a Carrera S or something like that, or 4S or something. I I wouldn't, you know... I think a narrow-body 993 is a pretty good-looking car. Personally, I quite like the Targas as well with that... um, you know, the world's biggest roof, you know, glass roof. Yeah, and, and I like the little um, spoiler it goes on the back from too. Yeah. I, I continually, over the last 15 to 20 years, see a nice white one parked on Napoleon Street in Cottesloe. You know, I see the car all the time. And I keep thinking, yeah, that's, if I ever get a 903, I think I want a white one like that one, you know, <laughs> with a tan interior like this car's got. You know, I, I like the look of them. So I definitely sympathise with so, so why do you think the 964 is worth more than the 993 now? It'd have to have something to do with the Singer factor. You know, the fact that Singer only do 964s. That's true. There was a, like, as a driving car, there was a pretty big jump in the dynamic between 
SCs and 964s. It was, you know, of when you look at the uh, evolution of 911, that is probably not including the change to water cooled engines, of course. Yes, yes. It's probably the single biggest difference, you know, like when you look at a late model G50, 88, 89 car, right? 3.2, and you put it next to a 964, the 964 looks like a spaceship. You know, in comparison, the the stance of the car, the big bumpers that are fully enclosed. Yes. Don't get me wrong, great looking cars. I really do like 964s. The, um, you know, and that's some other factors too. You've got the four-wheel drive aspect of the option that came with the 964s. Very mechanical, you know, four-wheel drive experience. The even though it's still a G fifty gearbox, the actual shift is very different in a nine six four compared to a three point two. You know, so I think a number of factors like that. I, I, yes. I think really to a lot of people, it's the first real modern Porsche, the nine six four. So that could have something to do with it. Mm. There is a lot of um, talk amongst, you know, the um, pundits about nine nine three being a feminine version of a nine six four. Because of its tidier, smaller, neater. It's the first time Porsche went smaller on a car. Yeah, that's unusual, isn't it? It is, it's, you it's know. It's interesting to see between the 997 GT3 RS and the 991 GT3 RS, it's big. <laughs> you put them next to each other, you go, what happened there? I mean, did they just go to McDonald's for too long, you know? Well, you, you know, and you park a 992 next to a 991, you've got yeah. the same thing. A 992 is a monster of a car. Yeah. It is a big motor car. It's kind of crazy why they're doing that, especially when you get this real pull for people like you and I that are dead keen to um, to drive a 911 SC or, uh, or a Carrera or something like that. And the reason we're keen is because they're a little narrow-body car. They're light. They weigh 1,100 kilograms and they're Yeah, look, I think, I think Porsche's <clears throat> argument to that is... But like the 911's become a real GT car. You know, when I say GT, not GT3 car, I'm talking a traditional Grand Tourer where, you know, you cut through continents in moments. You know what I mean? It's it's a just, you can sit in it all day. And it's a do-everything type car, you know. And that, they'd say, look, if that's the car you want, we've got boxes and Caymans, you know. Yeah, look, it's an interesting thing, because we often think that every Porsche is fabulous. And, and I, I'm not convinced. I mean, certainly. Let's hear it. What, let's, let's hear Derek's shit can of cars. <laughs> what do you got? Obviously, the blessed 924 is probably not the best of the, of the most outstanding. But, but um, you know, I, I love the 944. I've driven 944 S2s and 944 Turbo. It's a good car. I, I think it's an exceptional car. Um, and and oh, the you owned a Cayman as well, didn't you? I owned a Cayman. Yeah. So I owned a... With I a snail. I owned a Cayman 987. Uh, First one. Gen 1, manual, turbo. So it had been thoroughly worked. It had a, it had a beefed up um, clutch. A lot of development put in that a car. A lot of development in that car. And I, Still I, see it occasionally. Yeah. Classic exactly. cars and coffee. Classic cars like and that. coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And I love looking at it every time because it actually has uh, what looks like a, a 997 GT3 RS wing on the back designed for that car sure. in America. Great group of people. And, and it had KW suspension throughout, much bigger brakes, etc. It was a fast car. And it, but it just wasn't as engaging to drive as as um, as a 911 is to drive, um, or as certainly as the RS was, or the 968 Turbo was. It was just hard to get the same sort of visceral experience out of this mid-engine car. Um, Which is interesting because you know, in theory, 
dynamically, the car should be a better version of what your 968 was. And that's why I bought it. Because in theory, it should be a good all-arounder for motor carners and track work and everything else. Um, so, so the car, it did win the GT class, so it was, it was, it was still fast. And capable. Clearly. And capable. Um, but, it, but I tell you, the turbo was nuts. And every time you'd be doing motor carner work, you'd be trying to kick just off the edge of it. Sure. Um, because you would go into corners and you'd be coming out an opposite lock yeah, and okay. it would slide out of the corner. So mm-hmm. it was quite a handful to drive. Um, but it just wasn't as engaging to, to drive. And Porsche never makes a mistake. My view is that Porsche doesn't make a mistake. So they didn't put a turbo on it for a reason, Derek. And well, they, they didn't put a turbo on it because it goes faster than a 911. You know, so if you actually really put uh, a 3.8 litre in the back of that, which is what GT4s are now, you know, um, and put turbos on them, etc., you're going to get a lot more horsepower and it'll probably outperform the 911. So they didn't want to do that. Have you been fortunate enough to drive a GT4? No, I haven't. No. What do you think? Oh, I like it a lot. Yeah. You know, the, um, the consistent whinging in the um, media space about the gearing of the cars. Yes mildly justified like you know but the car has enough torque to manage it really yeah so yeah i find i, find, I do like them a lot yeah. the um i did a video review of a 981 no 987 987 spider box of spider oh right with the four liter in it no, no, oh. not the old one, right? So it's it's basically a Carrera S. Sorry, a, so nine eight seven. Yes, mm-hmm. so um, it's the older one, you know. Oh, yeah, the, the Sportster nine eight seven. So that would have been good fun to drive, wouldn't it? Amazing PDK, yeah. Yeah, great yeah. car to drive. Yeah, Gen Incredibly 2. exciting car. Yeah, yeah. Again, end of yeah. before the nine eight ones came. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, amazing motor car to drive. I yeah. was I was looking for reasons not to buy it. Yeah, you know that's how I excited I was. Now. This weekend, I'm actually filming the. Um, I've had like nine weeks of no filming purely because of weather here in Perth. Yeah. I'm actually filming the 718 latest. Oh, okay. Box the Spider, which wow. is the four liter, yeah, yeah. naturally aspirated yeah. GT product. Yeah. It comes yeah. out of GT yeah. um, department. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see. Look. Stunning motor cars. Yes. The way their roofs work. Yeah. I think they've just done a the, that rear clamshell. Yeah. I think I really like the spiders. Yeah. You know the box of spiders. I could be cars. a buyer for a spider. Yeah, and um, I actually think the old spiders are pretty, still great looking cars. So this is know. the nine eight seven Gen two that you mentioned, and and I I'd be a buyer for one of those too. I always used to laugh at the fact they were nearly double the price of um, a box to rest yeah. effectively. Yeah. But they're a lot more fun though, aren't they? Oh, look. Performance and dynamics, right? I think you could buy a box, a good Boxster S, either PDK or manual, whichever floated your boat, right? Punch another 20 grand into it. So let's say you spend 50 on a good Boxster S. For 70, you're going to get every bit, if not better than the Spider, but you know what you're not going to get? is that roof and that rear clamshell. And you know what? It'll never be a spider. No. So the spider's going to cost you 100 And you could naked to be able to get the weight out of it and all the rest of the stuff. Yeah, you know, you could still do all that. And the other thing is important is getting money back. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's the key. At the end of it, right, if you're building a car, but, you know, you could say about the Cayman Turbo too. Like I could imagine a lot of dough went into that project, right? And, 
you know, whilst you may have done well out of the other cars, I'd be pretty surprised if you recouped all your investment in that car. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, he's shaking his head in case you're listening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The silence was definitely right. yeah. so, so definitely lost money on that car. Yeah, but, so so you know, yeah. the plan is not to lose money on cars, and if you buy them correctly, etc., that's possible. Sure, but, yeah, and, and I do possible. believe this, um, history will be very kind to the Boxer Spiders. You know, yeah. Again, I just think the design of it, yeah. aesthetically stunning car, roof up and down, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, those carbon back sport buckets that, yeah. what they are, $10,000 option if you buy a 911, yeah. you know, but they come standard in the Spider, you know, so yeah. a few things like this and it's, yeah, I, I do think, it, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the newer version of that car actually drives yeah. like in comparison. I think that'll be fabulous. Everything I've read about it says it's a great thing. I tell you what, it's an amazing, the, the one I drove, great sounding car too. Mm. You know, it, it is a souped up version of a Boxster S essentially, 20 horsepower more, I think maybe 50 kilos less body weight, token body weight reduction, let's face it. The difference in, you've got a passenger in there goes 50 kilos, doesn't it? You know, so the um, depending on the size of your passenger, of course. That's right. Skinny girlfriends, that's the yeah. way you keep the performance <laughs> yeah, going. The weight balance, right, yeah, in the it. car, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true too. But so so, so what, what's there is that, you know, that, that came and um, didn't meet my expectation, but it was still a very well-balanced, very good driving car. It just wasn't as viscerally engaging as the 968 Turbo RS or the, or the GT3 RS, right? Um, however... Um, I thoroughly enjoy driving the 960, the RS60 Boxster. It's actually very engaging. Probably not dissimilar to what the spider, spider experience is like. Yeah. I, I so, imagine so. Yeah. It, so they just just Porsche just tweaked it, and this is why I get to the point is that Porsche doesn't make a mistake. They know what they're doing. They know when they tweak a car, it's for a certain thing. And when I w- went to buy that um, that that um, RS60, which happened to be owned by a good friend of mine, so by chance I bought it. From her, um, and <clears throat> I went out to, to drive a, a Gen One Nine Eight One Boxster convertible, sure, um, manual in um, in blue like this. I'm a sucker, and and so so I thought, well, okay, this is exciting. And yet again, it had done that sort of thirty thousand kilometres and it had gone through its depreciation curve, and it's typical of what I like to buy. I don't like losing yeah, yeah. money on I car. get it. Yep. So off I went. So I said, I got to buy. I took it for a drive, drove around the block. Toe and healed it the whole time, played with it every bit of it, with the salesman sitting next to me with a very surprised look on his face all sure. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it popped and it bubbled and it did everything. And I got back and he goes, well, he said, you sort of certainly enjoy driving that car. What do you think? And I went, I, 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 don't, I don't like it. And he goes, well, what are you kidding? You've got to be kidding me. You don't like it. What do you mean? I said, I, I don't know what it is. I just, I just don't like it. And it was really interesting. I, I didn't. Because the steering was very gentle, um, very soft. The clutch was soft. Um, throwing it around, the car felt a bit soft. Um, and Porsche didn't make a mistake. They built that for someone that for wasn't For a market. Made. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't mean the car's wrong. It's just not for yeah, me. No, the driver was. Exactly. The driver was wrong for the car. Um, so that's why I look along the way and I think, you know, sometimes Porsche makes cars for me that, that I'm not fond of, but they don't make a mistake. They've built that for someone else. They're quite cool. You know, let's face it. I don't know if you've driven a McCann before. Yeah. A McCann Turbo, in fact. Yeah. A McCann okay. Turbo X. <laughs> I've, I, <laughs> my daily is a Tiguan, Volkswagen Tiguan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is same platform the McCann's built on. If 
I was a blindfolded passenger in both cars. I don't know if I'd know the difference between the two cars. So, you know, it's essentially a product of badge engineering. Now, the turbos are a different kettle of fish, as are the GDSs. They're amazing driving cars, yeah, the yeah. Macan GDSs. But if you were to buy a Macan S, you know, you're buying it very specifically because you wanted a Porsche compact SUV, not because you wanted the best SUV in the marketplace. What's the difference been driving? Did you drive the two of them, the, your, your car and a Macan S? Did you drive the two? Yeah, I've driven both, And yeah. so how do you describe the difference in driving the two? Oh, look, the dynamic, the Macan S is definitely a more of a driver's SUV, but there is no getting around the fact they are both SUVs. Yes. So the compromises you're making, like, as a perspective, the Macan is an amazing car, and you're getting a very reputable badge on the front of the car. Yes. But the underpinnings of the car, there's no denying the fact that there's not a lot of difference between them. You know, so, and a very high-spec Tiguan is half the price of a low-spec Macan. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you'd have to very much want... Do, the, do you sense similarities with them when you're driving them, or are they oh, just they're both SUVs? No, no, they're, they're really similar, are they? Yeah, they are. I believe oh, they are, yeah. Interesting. The, um... You know, Volkswagen make very good cars and they make very few mistakes as well in this day and age. You know, there's often if they've made a mistake with the car, it's because it was the wrong car for the market, not the wrong car. Like you gave the example of the wrong car for the, right, for the driver. Yeah. Okay. It's a similar sort of thing with Volkswagen. And coming, clearly coming from the, you know, platform engineering that the Volkswagen group does, as do other manufacturers. So I'm yes. not critical of it at all, you know. The, um, like the Audi Q5 or Q3, I think it is, is the same platform as the Tiguan and the Macan. So, you know, depending on what you want out of your car and what price point you're at and what features so or true. what badge, yep. you know, this is where it's, it's quite it's, curious it's to me. transport in delivery. I mean, I, I, so I've had a couple of experiences with, and help me out here, the Lamborghini V10 Audi station wagon. Remember that? I do. It was the um, RS6. RS6, is it? Yep, RS6 and, event, yep. And, and yet again described by Jeremy Clarkson as the car that will get your kids to school faster than any other one. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, um, I had two experiences with it. Once was going on an on-ramp with, the, with, with driving Sabine, and whenever I used to go onto autobahns with Sabine, it would be red line, red line, red line, red line, red line. As you go on, it was just sure. so invigorating. Yeah, right? yeah. This guy was on my tail. In fact, he started a fair way behind me, and he was gaining on me constantly. Well, his he's, uh, top gear is probably a lot longer than the GT3's top gear, I'd imagine. Yeah. He, he has a small problem, though. And that is that as we were just going down this autobahn with the speeds going 180, 200, 215, 220, 230, 240, and, you know, with Sabine's naturally aspirated engine, it was just a straight curve. Like, yeah. Just like mm-hmm. that. It just keeps going like this. It gets faster and faster. Um, and at 250 kilometres an hour, he didn't go any faster. It is also speed limited. It's speed limited. And so therefore you get to 250 and all of a sudden it disappears into the background. Um, and, and I thought to myself, what a pity, because that's an insanely good car. This Cheap too. If you buy one today. Second hand. What do you reckon they're worth? I'll take a punt. 45, 50. <gasps> I think I want one. It's got a v, V10 Lamborghini engine in it. Detuned. Nothing a, uh, a tuner won't fix, so yeah, exactly. you're punching out the better part of, you know, north of six or seven horsepower. That is the same motor it's in the um, uh, Gallardo and Hurricane, I know. you know, ev- evolved. Yeah, I do believe there would be a lot of um, 
a lot of joy that can be had in that. Car. I'm going on to carsales.com today. See what's there. When I was um, <laughs> when that car got released, uh, my wife and I we during the European summer ran cycle tours in northern Italy, and one of the hotels we stayed at was also the training headquarters for one of the uh, CDR, you know, top end football teams. Right. Car park was full of them. Really? Yeah, like oh, everything in there, right? But there would have been eight or nine RS6 All bunts. the balls and all the gears. and an Oh, no, they just had them because they were the cool car to have, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah, completely, because it's, you know, Northern Italy, every wheel is completely curb-rushed. You know, the, um, every panel was dinted because the parking spots are too small for big wagons, the yeah, RS6 yeah. wagons. Yeah, perceived to be big. Yeah, like an RS6 wagon, if, if you haven't, you know, if you haven't seen one up close, it's a hearse. Right, there's no other way to describe it. It's a big vehicle, right? And um, yeah, I do reckon they're pretty good value now. I, yeah. I do think the um, maintenance costs would be pretty exorbitant when things went wrong with them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you need a, you need a new set of coil packs, Derek. No! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that'd be, that, that's the sort of car it would be, I yeah. imagine. Oh, yeah, brake pads. Oh, yeah, that's $4,000. Yeah, and regularly too. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. <laughs> all that weight's in the front of that wagon. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So the second time I had an, um, I, I, I saw one of these cars was on the Nürburgring, um, and it was about three quarters of the way along the ring, and it was a tourist day, as they call sure. it. And, um, and I was out driving hard and playing around and didn't get a lot of traffic, but there was this Audi mm-hmm. that had three of its four windows wound down was on the left-hand side in a straightaway doing about 60 kilometres an hour and had all three children vomiting out of the windows. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's gross. So obviously Dad had, dad had forgotten yeah, the kids were in the car. He was having way too much fun. <laughs> oh, classic. What a classic. <laughs> anyway, I think, let's, uh, I think we should wrap it up there. So really appreciate your time this evening. I hope the listeners have enjoyed hearing your story about Porsche and... Let's face it, you and I could talk for hours about uh, cars. Hours. And and we have in the past. (laughs) We have indeed. So, yeah, listeners, please check out the other uh, podcasts if you're interested on the channels, whether it's Classic Prattle, Porsche Talk. If you're interested in the YouTube version of this, check, again, Brad's channel. More videos, more podcasts to come soon. All comments, input, Apple reviews, etc. Very welcome. Thanks for listening.